Romans 9.13, God says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, it might shock you to hear God say he hates somebody, but are you sure that's the shocking statement there when we understand the text? This is When We Understand the Text, a daily study in the Word of Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Find all our videos and other ministry resources at www.utt.com. Here once again is Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky. We've been in Romans 9 this week, and there was a verse I said I wanted to come back to today. That's verse 13. But to keep this in context, let's start reading in verse 6. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. It's that verse right there we want to focus on mainly today. Verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now in our present evangelical climate, thinking of mostly the Western world theological mentality, uh, this this statement, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I hated is shocking because we don't like to think about God hating anybody. God is not hateful. God is love. That's said exactly in the Bible. First John four, eight. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And as it said over and over in the Psalms, his steadfast love endures forever that's Psalm 136 in summary. Every other line is his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his steadfast love endures forever. So we only want to think about God as loving. He doesn't hate anybody. John 3:16 says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him will not perish." but will have everlasting life. But most people want to think about God as love. They, they want to attribute God as only being loving and not hateful. They'll even say hate is the opposite of love. And a lot of people think this way about God because they want to think that God is going to just overlook all of the bad stuff that they do, or even that God is on their side. I'm not really doing anything evil. God made me this way. He loves me just the way I am, so he would never do anything bad to me, even if I continue behaving just like this. 
And so a person will want to say that God is love. They'll want to think that he is only love and he can't he can't ever be wrath. He can't ever be vengeance or issue judgment or or that uh, he would cut you off. You know, nothing like this because they want to continue to live the way that they live and God will just permit it. He'll even love you because of it. But while we insist on saying that throughout the Psalms, it is said of God, his steadfast love endures forever. We don't often want to acknowledge what is said in Psalm 5, where it says, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Tomorrow we begin a new book study in our Old Testament study, and that's going to be in the book of Proverbs. And it's there in Proverbs 6, starting in verse 16, that we read, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now, we tend to think of God hating sin, but he loves sinners, right? There's a common saying that is often said among evangelicals that you hate the sin, but you love the sinner. The problem with that statement is it separates sin from the sinner. So sin is a thing that God hates, but he doesn't hate sinners. He loves sinners. He just hates their sin. There is a sense in which that is true. I mean, we are, if it were not for the grace of God, you would just drift off into all sorts of of sin and depravity and deceitfulness and uh, and malice and so on and so forth. It is by the gracious hand of God that you've been saved and you stay saved and you even walk in the righteousness of Christ because God is sustaining you. In our human nature, we're sinners. That's what we want to do. We want to rebel against God and it's by his gracious goodness he has turned us from that, from those who are rebelling against God and and now we are people who are pursuing God. We love God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, because of the transformation that has happened in our hearts by the power of God, by the power of the gospel itself. So, yes, indeed, God does indeed love the sinner. But that statement, once again, separates sin from sinners. And you'll hear this a lot. The majority of people even call themselves Christians think this way. God hates the sin that you do, but he won't ever punish you for it. You would never be punished For your sins, even though this is something that is a stench in the nostrils of God. Uh, Those of you who follow me on Twitter know that uh, in my Bible reading that I've been doing through the literal word uh, for the literal word Bible app, I've been reading through Ezekiel. I finished Ezekiel and now I'm having to do it again because I lost the entire file. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know how it happened. It looks like it was a sort of a thing where I copied and pasted something and then saved it accidentally and didn't realize I had done that and wiped out the entire file. So I have to go back through Ezekiel and record it again. This is a book that out loud takes you more than four hours to <laughs> to say it out loud. So this is a lot of work. It's a lot of hours that I've put into just the book of Ezekiel. But you're seeing over and over and over again in that book the promise that God is giving that he is going to destroy Israel. And there's nothing that they can do 
to turn him from the destruction that is going to come upon them. In fact, at one point, he even says that uh, that Israel is mocking Ezekiel because they're saying of him what he's prophesying is coming later in the future. It's not it's not our danger now. It's not the immediate present. It's something that's going to come about upon us later. And the Lord answers those who are mocking Ezekiel and says, watch and behold, because this is no longer me talking about what I'm going to do in the future, it's upon you right now. It's already at your door. It is here. And then God in his chariot with the cherubim in Ezekiel 11 lifts up from the temple and he goes up on the mountainside. He leaves the temple. His presence is gone from the temple. It is gone from Jerusalem. It goes up on the mountain to watch Jerusalem get destroyed because of the wickedness that they have committed against God. God is a righteous judge, and he will punish the wicked. And in fact, this is what God says exactly about himself when he's passing in front of Moses in Exodus 34, 6. This is what God says of himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So whatever you think about God must be understood in the words that God has said of himself. Do you know God as somebody who is indeed merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Do you know that about God? But do you also know this same God will by no means clear the guilty, that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation? In Habakkuk Chapter 1, verse 13, it says that God's eyes are so holy, he cannot even look upon sin. This is the God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire. And by the way, the God of the Old Testament is no different than the God in the New Testament. It's the same God. Jesus Christ was by no means absent at Sodom and Gomorrah. He was there raining fire and brimstone along with the Father when this judgment came down upon the, the cities of the plains. It is said in Jude uh, verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. God said of Judah in Ezekiel chapter 16 that their abominations were worse than what Sodom and Gomorrah had done. Uh, as I quoted in a sermon just this past Sunday, Billy Graham has said, if God does not judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we read about judgments that are coming upon the whole earth in the book of Revelation. And in fact, in Revelation 19, Jesus being the one who is going to come and strike down the nations, he has a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure come with him when he returns. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword 
with with which he will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the almighty. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about. And you're reading about in Revelation, the wrath that God had poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. Peter says in 2 Peter 3 is being stored up in heaven with fire for that day of judgment. Christ will spill blood on that day of judgment. He will be the one to say to those who were wicked and did not do the will of the Father, depart from me, you cursed. I never knew you. That he will cast them into that place of eternal destruction. We read about heaven in Revelation 21, 4, that when we dwell with him forever, uh, God himself will be with them as their God. We will be his people. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Verse eight. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jesus is not merely going to punish sin. He will judge and pour his wrath out upon sinners. He hates those who do wickedness. The Lord's wrath was upon you before you heard the gospel and turned from your sin and worshiped God. This is the state of every person who is born in the line of Adam. We are under the wrath of God until we are under his grace by faith in Jesus Christ through the gospel that was preached to us. John 3:36 says that he who has the son has life. He who does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Not that it comes upon him, it remains on him because that's the default state of every person born with this sin nature in rebellion against God. We are under God's wrath. We are worthy of his destruction. Is God going to pour out his wrath on those whom he loves? Absolutely not, which is why Paul says to believers in the church at Thessalonica, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 5, 9. We who are in Christ are not destined for wrath. We're destined for his grace, his love, his mercy, everlasting life with him forever in his kingdom. That is what we are destined for. But without God's sovereign election, we would not receive that. If God had not elected, we would not have uh, uh, been given this opportunity to turn from sin, have our sins atoned for through Christ so that we might enter into the Holy of Holies and dwell with God and be in fellowship with him forever. If it were not for the fact that God elected those from sinful man whom his son would die for atoning for their sins and reconciling to himself a people for his own possession. If it were not that God had elected, we would perish. We would not dwell with God. We would be separated from him forever in that place of destruction. And God is perfectly within 
his justice to do that, his holiness and his righteousness to cut us off and not give us anything. God is not obligated to give us anything. He does so because he is gracious, because it is by the grace of God and not by any man. So I've been going on about this for the majority of the devotional here. Why am I saying this in light of Romans 9, 13? As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. The point that I'm making is this. We tend to be shocked by the statement Esau I hated, but the reality is the shocking statement is Jacob I loved. It's not Esau I hated. It's Jacob I loved. Remember what I said yesterday about Jacob and Esau. Neither one of them were good men. You don't look at the life of Jacob and think of this guy. Okay, well, I see why God chose him over Esau. He was a trickster. He was not a good man. Faithful to the Lord, certainly, but only because God was faithful to his promise to his grandfather, Abraham. It's not that Jacob was some pious guy who was seeking after the Lord. There was Abraham, there was Isaac, there's Jacob, whose name becomes Israel, and from him come the 12 tribes of Israel. But the point here is that though they had done nothing good or bad, Jacob and Esau had not even yet been born. They haven't even done anything to merit God's favor or to earn his judgment in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls it was Rebecca who was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. Esau continued in that place of condemnation that we would all continue in, if not for the fact that God had chosen us for salvation. He chose Jacob that his purpose of election might continue and left Esau, did not choose Esau. He chose Jacob. He didn't choose Esau. And not choosing is God's wrath remaining on the one who is not chosen, but his love and mercy and grace upon the one who is chosen. But why should God choose any of us? Why are any of us deserving of the love of God? We aren't. Titus 3.3, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We were all like that. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That there in Titus 3, 3 through uh, uh, 6, 3 through 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'll throw verse 7 in there with that. That is our Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated statement right there. We are among the Jacob I loved, and those that are not chosen who remain in their wickedness and sinfulness to judgment and to destruction. They're among the Esau I hated. But we should not ever look at that as, oh, look how much better a person that I am. And no, we need to come into that with humility, recognizing that we are not deserving. Why would God choose me to the praise of his glorious grace? 
Don't ever think of yourself as being better than someone else because God had chosen you and you don't know who the elect are. So our calling now is to take the same gospel that we heard through this gospel. We heard it and we have repented of our sin and believed in Christ and so live. And we need to take that gospel to everyone without prejudice, without partiality. Everyone needs to hear the gospel so that God's purpose of election might continue. So the shocking statement here is Jacob I loved. It's not Esau I hated. Now, in explanation of this, there are some that will try to say, well, this was national. It wasn't personal. Oh, yeah. Try telling Esau that. Try telling Esau that, that you know, that thing that God said uh, about you, uh, uh, Jacob, I loved Esau that I hated. Don't take it personally because it had to do with nations. It didn't have to do with you personally. Uh, yeah, it did have to do with Esau. Esau's cut off from the kingdom. Esau did not receive the blessing. Esau gave up his inheritance. He was not going to be the recipient of the promises of God. And this was already decided before Jacob and Esau were born. Jacob was the one whom God had chosen to continue this line of promise. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and through the line of Judah would come the Messiah, the, the child of promise, the fulfillment of this promise, who is Jesus Christ. And, and Jacob is the one that God chose. God chose Abraham. God chose Isaac and not Ishmael. God chose Jacob and not Esau. Not because either one of them did anything to either earn the favor or, of God or uh, because they deserved his wrath. They both deserve judgment. But God chose to redeem one and not the other. Esau and his entire line. National? Yes, absolutely. Because you see the fruit of that which God had said to Jacob and Esau. He's going to restore Israel. Though Israel was punished for their sin and wickedness against God, God had mercy on Israel. He did not have on Edom. That's what Malachi chapter 1 is about. Israel is going to be restored. Esau is going to be destroyed. And even when they try to rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. And notice something else about this, too. When Jesus was born, there was two kings. There was Herod and there was Christ. One was the child of the promise from the line of Israel and the other was not. Herod was an Edomite. Jesus was an Israelite, the promised king and the wicked king that it may continue to be demonstrated. Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. And whoever believes in Christ, the child of promise are likewise children of promise. Let's finish there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness that you show by your great kindness and mercy, not because we do anything great, but because you are a good and loving God. And may we worship you for that, that it may be to the praise of your glorious grace. We don't exalt ourselves for anything great that we have done. It is because you have done and you have accomplished according to your gracious will. May you receive the praise that you are deserving of according to what is said in your word. And as someone came to us sharing the good news of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins, he rose again from the grave and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life as this 
gospel has been spoken to us, that we may believe and be saved. So may we share that with somebody else, that those whom you have elected for salvation may receive that salvation through the hearing of the gospel. The Apostle Paul said in Titus 1.1 that he did what he did as an evangelist for the sake of the faith of God's elect. And so we share the gospel that those whom you have called to yourself may hear that calling through this proclamation of the gospel and believe and so be saved. Thank you for saving us and including us in this work of grace. May we do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to When We Understand the Text with Pastor Gabe Hughes. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Gabe will be going through a New Testament study. Then on Thursday, we look at an Old Testament book. On Friday, we take questions from the listeners and viewers. Tomorrow, we'll pick up on an Old Testament study, When We Understand the Text.